Welcome to 3ABR, the wellness couch where science meets ancient wisdom. And tonight we've got a great guest in in the studio all the way from Seattle. Now, um, have you ever wondered how your sibling order in the family would affect uh, your life path and family relationship dynamics? What personality traits and mental abilities you have been gifted? What is your life purpose or what are your challenges, your attractions to complement you? Well, tonight all the way from Seattle we have a master. We've got Denny Johnson who's an explorer, researcher, writer, and international teacher. And Denny established the RAID model as one of the most powerful modern tools for understanding personality and behaviour as well as individual, familial, and relationship patterns and dynamics. So let's welcome Denny in the studio. How are you going, Denny? Wow, that was a mouthful. Yeah, welcome along. <laughs> I spat it all out. <laughs> hey, how's your stay in Australia so far? Well, it's remarkable. I, I haven't been here for six years, and it's feels like it's just a, a different country, and I've been traveling mostly on the East Coast in different cities, and wow, I'm just enjoying the, the vitality and the change. It seems like, well, if traffic is in any condition of prosperity, <laughs> Australia of is, is growing. I think it is, yeah. Like, oh, I know Melbourne hit five million cars just about three or four weeks ago, so even Melbourne as a city has grown significantly in that time. Well, I'm enjoying my time here, and I'm always glad to come here. Yeah, it's great. It's a lovely place, and I know you've been enjoying some of the wildlife at the back of the property over the yes. last couple of days. Yes, oh, the birds, yes, even the koala, and yes, I, I just enjoy the landscape and the feeling and, and just the, the congruency of nature. Yeah, it's beautiful, and I think being down in Apollo Bay particularly, uh, there's that attraction and that connection to to nature, it's, it's, it's a very beautiful spot. We've got the mountains right next to the sea, and it's a, just a beautiful spot to be. All right, so let's get into the Rayad model, Denny. Everyone's waiting, obviously, how um, we can better understand ourselves, our family dynamics, and relationships in our family. And uh, I think everyone's waiting to talk about birth order. So being, you know, like you're born into the family as a number one girl or number one boy, two, three, four, sequential orders. Um, and how, do, how does that affect our personality, our, our mental factors, our, our place in society? Whoa. So, yes. The, start with the easy question. Yeah, start with the easy stuff. <laughs> um, let's just build a little model for the audience first. If you have um, six sons in a row, I mean, all from the same father, because the birth order actually follows the father. So if the father has six sons in a row, each one of those six boys are going to have a different gene access to different parts of the family. So they're going to have a different body type, a different personality type. They're going to have a greater amount of DNA from the mother or the father's side. And all of the uh, different nuances of how they see themselves or other people see them, it's going to be scripted from boy one to boy six, and then it's going to turn over, and seven is going to be like one. So let's just get right into okay. describing it, for example. So once I hit seven, it starts at the cycle again and yes. goes through. Okay. Yeah, it has a different effect, but the same genetic cycle is there. Yeah. So if we talk to the audience about boy number one for a moment and compare that to boy number two and then we'll go back to the girl so boy number one genetically usually is from mother's father's side of the family he's generally closer to mother when given a chance to do that and he's usually what we call an opposite to his father so whatever the father is the boy is not I mean that's the easiest thing to remember 
is that Boy One is not designed to be like his father, but if the father really understands this, he gives credit to his son as his leader, not as his son. Now, this is imperative for family dynamics because a lot of men want their firstborn boy to be very much like them. Exactly like them. Mm. (laughs) So this understanding is great for... I've seen it thousands of times. Just get the information right. So, like, for example, if you have a number one son, he's generally very close to mom, genetically or otherwise, when given a chance to do so. And if you start out right away with a number one son going... The dad goes, son, I have, uh, you know, two pairs of socks here. I've got some green ones and some blue ones. Which ones do you think I should wear today? And the boy says, blue. Then you just give him a chance to lead by solving situations. Then the father ends up having a great relationship, and the number one son feels like the opportunity to lead and communicate. But if he can't communicate to his father what he feels and imagines and thinks about, then he shuts down. So a lot of number one sons have a tendency to shut down. That's normal until they're usually 35 or 40, then they start opening up. But the very different thing is the number two son is completely different. He's usually from the father's side and usually emotionally, physically active, or he even has a tendency for toward aggressiveness or physical activity. And uh, finally, this is the boy that dad's been waiting for because he's usually more aggressive, more masculine, and has a tendency to express himself with with anger or act it out physically, and needs father to constantly tell him no. You know, you can't hit your brother over the head with a bat. (laughs) You know, because usually the first one's passive and the second one's usually more emotionally and physically aggressive. So father has to be two different fathers to two different sons, and knowing the difference between that. And that's really interesting because a lot of, I think a lot of Western cultures, particularly a lot of men are one-dimensional. So this is who I am and I will treat you exactly the same. Now this is great information too because it it shows that we have different family dynamics but we set a table. So the family, what I'm trying to say is the family becomes balanced by having all these different energetics in the family. Um, A lot of people or I know parents uh, sometimes get disappointed that one person isn't like the prior one. But, you know, if you look at the family dynamics, this becomes balanced when you've got different people in the family, different energetics. Well, before we go balanced, let's go to the other side for a moment (laughs) and do the girls. So it's just the opposite for the girls. It's literally like almost uh, horizontal and diagonal opposite. So the number one girl is typically from the father's side of the family and father's mother's genetic line. And this is crucial. When given the chance to relate to father, she usually wants to relate to father, but she looks at mother as a competitor. So you might look at um, the two-year-old number one girl. She looks at mother and puts her hands on her hips and goes, anything you can do, I can do better. And she's only two. She's (laughs) strong-willed, determined. She looks right at father and goes, what? I see how mother works you. I can work you better than that. <laughs> yeah. And so then she's usually more verbal, more aggressive, more not aggressive physically so much, but mm-hmm. aggressive with control. She talks more, she acts more, she pushes more, and she's a you know sometimes she can be either a rhinoceros or an elephant. In a way, she's yeah. strong-willed and determined. Whereas her sister, the two girl, the second daughter of the father is completely different. She's not verbal, 
She doesn't like being controlled by anyone, especially her older sister. And the two girls use the imaginative, creative, and Yuzi has this ability to be by <coughs> herself, you yeah. know, has her own imaginary friends, and you know, she thinks in different ways. She's a completely different personality. So if parents know that, for example, you know, you can't avoid your number one girl. They're going to find dad, and they're going to tell mom, you know, mom, back off. Because there can be a little competition rivalry between the number one girl and mom because she really does want to be a, a imitate mom and do it better. It's like the it's like the rings of a tree. That whatever the mom is, the, the next girl, number one girl, comes in and goes, well, I'm supposed to be stronger and bigger than you, so I'm going to act like it. And she does. But the number two girl comes along, and she's not like either one of mom or older sister. So, for example, if you're a father, you, you have to look at your number one girl and recognize that she's going to have a tendency to want to take things on, whether it's responsibility or other people or dad. And she really looks for, for dad to give acknowledgement, appreciation, and just to let her know that she is there and he knows that she's there. Whereas a number two girl sometimes doesn't even care if you exist because she's in her room Yep. Doing something, creating something, imagining something. She's she's perfectly fine all by herself because she's talking to her imaginary or, or, or other friends, you know, and, and it's yeah. like she doesn't want to mess with somebody coming in with like for example, if you're a father and you have two girl, you gotta kinda get her permission to come in her room. Because <coughs> that's her private domain. And so the way I like to describe it is you knock and then you get permission. And, and then you kind of like, you just crawl in, and you don't say anything, and you lay down. Yeah. Until she kind of acknowledges that you exist. <laughs> and then when she speaks to you, then you say something like, Oh, I wonder how many butterflies are on the moon. Oh, she knows right away. She knows the answer to that. She goes, well, there's 14. She'll give you the colors and whatever else. That's how you just nurture her imaginative creativity. But then coming through the door is her older sister going, yada, 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 eat. Come eat. Do this. Do that. Do. Yeah. And the number two girl doesn't like any of that. You know, like she will not be controlled by anyone. So the number two girl, and the number two girls who are listening, they know this. Yeah, it sounds familiar to me. You know, they're not (laughs) going to be controlled by their sister, by their husband, by their mate, by their boss. You you just recognize they have a a different makeup. So you have to be careful with number two because if you upset her, she'll burn the bridge and she won't come back for a while. But number one's, unfortunately, she can take a lot of abuse and keep coming back. Yeah. And sometimes she takes on too much burden. Number one girls, they sometimes take on the responsibility. They want to mimic mom's authority and mimic mom's cooking and mimic mom's treating other people. And pretty soon they're... They're five or six or seven, and they're taking care of their neighborhood. Yeah. And they take on too much, and they never stop. The problem with number one girls, they they don't get a chance to be little girls, because oftentimes, if you're a number one girl, and you have a younger brother or sister, they give you you the baby. Yeah. So sometimes you can be five or six, and you're changing diapers, and you're you're already bottle feeding your brother and your sister. And, well, they grow up 
too fast and they get a little serious. By the time they're 12 or 13, they want their own family one day really fast. And I've, I've seen a lot of number one girls not actually be very happy because they weren't allowed to play as a child. Yep. So I would suggest, you know, Dad, take her um, out to lunch one day and be with her. Spend time one-on-one -on -one, and then at the times just play with her, be silly with her, dance with her, do something special that is not about her because she'll want to take on the authority. That's very yep. special. She'll want to take on all the duties. Yeah. Now, I guess a lot of people out there will be asking about blended families. So society's changed so much and we have um, adapted, like I guess, merging families, uh, step families. So how does that relationship in birth order come into play now that we've got blended families? Not easily. For example, if you have a number one girl yep. from one side and then you have a number one girl from the other side, when you put two of them together, oh, that's not really going to be easy. So it can be easy or it can be difficult based on the quality of what the parents are doing with the kids. But one of the hardest ones is where there's a number one girl and, you know, mom and dad divorce and the number one girl wants to kind of go with dad because she's convinced she can do a better job than mom did. And then dad starts to have a romantic interest in another woman. Ah, this is a betrayal sometimes. She feels now dad's actually interested in another woman, not me. And so the new wife and the, the number one girl, sometimes they can have a real problem making the adjustment. But if you have a number two girl in there, she kind of doesn't care about the adjustments you're making. She's, she'll make her own. Mm. It's a completely different, they're usually very adaptable because you'll do whatever you want, she's going to do only what she wants. But number one girls in a blended family don't take it easily. So we've got to remind the audience too that um, the sibling order comes from the father's side. So even if he does remarry, it actually comes from the father's side. That's correct. So father can have two sons by one wife, divorce, and have two more sons but those two sons are actually what we call number three and number and four. four. So there we have a, and just so the audience knows this, um, there's lots of information that's available. It's downloadable for free. There are even booklets about how to raise a number one son, a number two son, and so on. That information is available. Yeah, so you actually have a, a complete book on it, don't you, that's downloadable for free on your website? Yes, that's available. But part of it is is just to stop back and, and just notice that the difference between three daughters, for example. Three daughters, you know, like the first daughter wants to control the house. The second daughter doesn't allow anybody, so she, she's out by herself. <laughs> and the third one is, again, similar to the first one, but usually likes to take care of everybody. And so you might have, like, a birthday cake that somebody's made. And number one, girls talking and telling everybody what they're going to do, how many pieces they're going to take. And the number two <coughs> girl just comes in and takes what she wants and leaves. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, really, doesn't really care who's dividing the thing up. It's yeah. funny when you observe it. Well, the number three play. girl says yeah. everybody should have a fair piece. Oh, by the way, while we're all having an equal piece, we should be holding hands. Because she likes inclusiveness and getting together. I mean, they're very sweet. Number three yeah. girls, if you're out there, you know this. The third <laughs> daughter is usually just plain nice. They're kind, they're caring, 
they're giving. They're like the number one girl, but they have a tendency to do it in public service or education or medicine. They care about people. I like those number threes. I like number twos as well because <laughs> of their independence. <laughs> now, if you want, we can do three boys. You know, you have the first ones typically imaginative or he's, you know, thinking a lot or he's, he won't get a job until he's 40. Not always, Mom. Don't worry. But the second son usually grows up determined and he's active and he goes and he's pushing and he wants to be strong and athletic and he has a tendency to blame people. Number three son is like a clever little fox. He can look right at you and, well, not always tell the truth because he can look at you and, and like, you know, somebody, the lamp falls on the floor. Mom comes in. Well, the number one son, is, he's not even dreaming about whose fault it is. And the second son is, you know, like, no, no, no. He gets so red and he gets so angry. And, well, the third son just slips in and out of the room and he doesn't get caught. He, he's a negotiator. He's a strategist. He's a chess master. Third son is one of the most clever positions in the family tree. Sometimes I call him the Tom Sawyer type, if you know that term. Yep. He's involved in strategizing. And he can be all of the mind behind the dynamics. So how does it play out? So so far we've talked about you know all boys, all girls. So I guess you know if I take myself as an example, make it all about me for the for the moment. Third child, but second son. So I have an older sister than two boys, which then I'm assuming will change the dynamic because even though my brother's first son, he may not be first child. That's correct. Does that make sense? So then that situation where you have a girl first, that's number one girl. Then if you have a boy behind a girl, he's actually what we call second behind a girl, which creates an emotional dynamics like a number two son, but he's usually emotionally sensory addictive, emotionally reactive, whereas the number three <laughs> behind a girl first is also the second son, genetically. So the third one behind a girl first, we call that third girl position, public service, caring, uh, fairness, but also second son, which is capable, athletic, determined. So every one of the combinations takes on combinations of the attribute. So in your, your case, number three behind a girl has a certain degree of fairness and consistency. But you're also number two son. So that means fire, physical action. So you take on what we call in epigenetics, in one form of genetics, two lines from the father's family. Two different forms of lines, and that usually becomes capable at practical things or capable with groups or capable with moving situations which, which are traditional, so it's a traditional capacity. Whereas if you have a brother right before you, he's really not going to be like you at all. He's going to be completely an emotional opposite. It's not an easy position, by the way. I don't mean to discourage parents. But the boy who comes after a girl usually is the most emotionally sensitive and oftentimes needs the greatest orientation from both parents. Otherwise, he gets emotionally reactive or gets into uh, anger or self-pity or you know, consumed by emotional sensitivity, can be addictive in some forms, can be a wonderful artist, creative designer of something if he learns how to be able to 
actually direct it. So yes, there are combinations of birth order patterns mm. where you can be a boy, for example, which we said was mostly from the mother's family, and a girl behind a boy now gives her a number one girl behind a boy, but a, but a two-boy pattern. Well, when you get a two-boy and a one-girl together, then you've got, well, <laughs> charging buffalo with big axe. Or, or, you know, strong-willed determined with, I'm going to control you, but I'm going to control you with a little aggressiveness physically. And, you know, sometimes they're physically active, right? Whereas if you had a, you know, a boy, girl, girl, so interesting. So the the second girl is gonna be completely different from the the, the one behind the boy. You know, so yeah, it's pre true. it's predictable to be able to see where they are. It's also predictable. How's that? It's predictable. So you've got another map to help with parenting. Oh, it's amazing. It's, the amount of data that they now know in science about how this works is utterly staggering. But if this was made available you know, to, to everyone, as soon as they come out of hospital, it would be so much easier if parents had a map yeah. on how to deal. A map with or a... an operator's manual. <laughs> operator's manual, obviously. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Right. a bit of both, isn't it? It yeah. is. It's yeah. a map, it's an operator's manual. And then later on, if you're looking at this, you go, wait... We just realized that the second daughter takes on the gene code from mother's mother's side of the family and ends mm. up with predictable access to the unresolved emotions mm. from the mother's side of the family. These are called epigenetic markers. So we now know which child gets which markers from which side of the family and the associated grandfather or great-grandmother that it comes from. So literally, they can map now the genome of a single child and know what they received. This is absolutely fantastic for me. I know as a practitioner because I can make therapeutic strategies that are very individual just by asking their birth order. And knowing what's... I and, guess, and what's coming down. Coming in their, say, their, their family history as far as mm. different medical... So thanks, Jenny. It's been absolutely amazing to utilise this information in practice. Wait. Wait, wait, are we done? But no, there's no, we're not done. no. But there's more. There's more. I know, but I just wanted to say. We finally just started. I guess you know, Kat's been using this for, for many years um, in, her, in her clinic, you know, which has helped open the doorway for, I guess, many, many insights that I've seen you being able to, to achieve anyway. Well, it's thanks to Denny and his research that um, we're mm. able to do this. Well, you know, I feel like I'm a neophyte at this, and every time we start to apply more of it, Science starts to confirm where these markers come from, what they do, and then the pharmaceutical industry wants to patent molecules to help them change, and the mm. CRISPR genetic engineering wants to be able to remove things genetically. Psychotherapists want to be able to tell them which way goes where. Now, the amount of information that's coming out right now about the whole gene code and mm. the association to the birth order is utterly remarkable. There's so much new information. So where is some of that research starting to stem from? Well, it's really happening as a result of something called the, the CRISPR, which, is the, um, which was the Nobel Prize a few years back, and that was basically they learned how to 
uh, program viruses to go in and to uh, snip out individual um, gene markers and repair it. Wow. So now they have the latest one is that they're going mm -hmm. to be capable of repairing genetic blindness. Mm -hmm. They're already doing uh, spinobifida in the womb. Mm -hmm. So they can already take the gene code of a child in the womb, analyze the gene code, understand where it's probably getting its uh, deformities from, if they find that, and they can go in with the CRISPR and then go in and reformat the gene code and the child is literally born normal. Technology at its best. Wow. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. yes, and I'm, I'm all for that level of technology to save people from excruciating pain and suffering, like spinobifida and, and sickle cell anemia, other ones, and, and even leukemia. They're, they're mm -hmm. now learning how to be able mm -hmm. to interrupt it. Yeah. But I'm not absolutely convinced that the genetic removal of the offending gene marker mm. is actually going to resolve how it got there. No. So genetic engineering and pharmaceuticals, they want to either biochemically or physically remove the markers, but I think that there's actually an underlying unresolved emotion that yeah. has actually created this blemish in the family tree. Because ultimately, you know, we're a hologram, aren't we? We can take a piece of this well, out yeah. and we'll see the whole there. So even though we can take a piece of that gene out, you know, the rest of us emotionally is still there. And the energy that goes around that still... There's so we have the blueprint, like Denny says, and yeah. it'll continue to energetically affect us. There's mm. a massive project currently underway in China where they're taking 30 million children, wow. which is not a lot in their <laughs> population. And their plan is to um, do their genome at birth and remove all offending markers. They're not trying to create anything that's not there. They just want to remove any one of the gene codes that would be responsible for cancer when they're 30 or 40. They, they can see these markers and they can go in and begin to remove them to produce a generation of children who theoretically will not have the same interruption of cancer, heart attack, or stroke that their their cohorts of an equal control group have. And so this the the use of this going worldwide is quite remarkable, it's stunning about what's available. Mm -hmm. So those are those are some of the that's where some of the information is coming from. And there's there's a large scale groups that for example there's a the twins registry in Sweden which has a hundred thousand uh, twins, and they're doing studies about the epigenetic influences of uh, the twins, fraternal or identical types, and they're beginning to track where these individual gene patterns come from. And science is merging with science, so the study of where it originate from is is coming in to meet the study of how to remove it, either biochemically through pharmaceuticals or through genetic engineering, or through psychotherapy. They want to talk you out of it. So all of that is merging right now. And in the next 20 years, I, I can't even imagine the amount of yeah. things that they're going to be doing. They're, they're able to identify where things come from. And they're also learning to identify what caused them. They didn't know 30 years ago that an emotional stress caused by going to war actually creates a protein crystal. Mm -hmm. and that protein crystal holds a stressor trigger 
mm. that travels with the gene and comes out a specific birth order position. So they know that the third son will get something different from the second son. So they know which grandfather had the gene code or which great-grandmother had the problem of some kind, maybe physical or emotional or sexual abuse, coded into the family pattern. It's now handed down, the, and they can predict where it will go. So they can not only see where it is and where it's likely to travel to, they're introducing the means of being able to remove it. That's just amazing. Absolutely. That amazing. Is, That's a state of the art. That's not woo-woo science no. right now. That's science, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, there's over in the, the U.S. FDA pipeline, there's over 70 different drugs right now in the pipeline already produced designed to be synthetic patentable molecules to remove the offending crystal from your father's father's mother that's different from your mother's mother's mother in <clears throat> individual molecules that they know might create breast cancer or diabetes in one of the children, but they basically want you to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, so they so go, okay, we've got the cure, yeah. but you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. But they did that recently with hepatitis C. They produced a drug that, quote, cures hepatitis C, saving a lot of lives. Don't get me wrong. There's some of this allopathic research, pharmaceutical research, it's saving a lot of lives and saving a lot of suffering. I don't know about the long-term results of what it means to the second and third generation. Mm. And neither do they, by the way. They're just basically... Yeah. Well, all right, let's try it and see what happens. Kind of. I don't mean to be unkind to their research. But well, their research only spans uh, I guess, multiple years as opposed to multiple generations, isn't it? So. There are some really fun ones out there. I, one of my favorites is the, the and I'm not a, I'm not a abuser of, of mice, but the, the studies on mice, for example, they did a group of mice and they uh, subjected them to a cherry blossom scent, and right <coughs> when they... they could smell the cherry blossom scent, they gave them electrical shock. So over a period of time, any time that the, the mice got uh, cherry blossom scent, they went into kind of a panic because they knew that the electrical shock was coming next. So then they let them have offspring, and they removed the parents. So the mice offspring had no knowledge you know, directly of the experience. Now all they have to do is reintroduce the, the cherry blossom scent, and the offspring go into a panic. Mm. They're, they, they're carrying the same marker without the direct experience. Mm. Absolutely. And they tracked it down three generations, yeah. and on the fourth generation, they didn't have that. Now they're doing it with all kinds of influences, mm. and they're realizing that most people are, are walking around like uh, formatted cherry blossom mice, yeah. and they come into wow. a social, physical environment, and they actually trigger ancestral memories the same way that the mice did. And the axle will turn on a gene to become capable of starting a disease of some form, whether a cancer or stroke or a heart mm. attack. Mm. So the science coming in and all of this, all relating to how the birth order delivers this information. Well, certainly those of us in, in Riot International, um, particularly we saw some scientific evidence or contemporary scientific ev evidence backing up that there was, it goes back 14 generations so that was scientifically backed up, 14 generations of epigenetics um, that they could prove. Now, that 14 generates turned out to be with nematodes. So, you know, is it the same for mammals? 
you know, so they're looking at the difference between different viruses and different species and how long does that last with one species or another. So the, on the human one, they're only finding it three generations. So the fourth generation seems to be not carrying the same gene code marker that mm -hmm. the ones. So they've seen it go down through physical generations. For example, like smoking, they've seen that go genetically, the trigger of the potential disease of a lung cancer or something will go down three generations as a result of one person smoking. That's amazing. But they haven't three seen generations. it go. So that's what great-grandchildren. Yeah, so they haven't seen it go four generations. So there are certain species that will go five, six, or 14 generations, but on the, on the human scale so far, only three. Wow. Thank goodness. So I guess that... Some mental health on, issues on, and... Yeah, I know you've probably got a lot of questions, but I guess the question that comes to my mind after hearing all that is, what can people do to change that? Like, is their destiny preset for them? Or can, are, are there things that they can do, steps that they can take to... Bypass that. <laughs> oh boy! Now we're into the epigenetics. Good stuff. Once we know that, that's right. Well, apparently the genetic influence is only an influence. It's yeah. a strong influence, but it's not a mandate. So, if somebody, for example, they're they're just they're discovering that certain forms of emotional rage, like a jealousy, in the great grandmother can create a likely trigger for diabetes to affect the function of mm -hmm. the pancreas. But just because somebody gets that genetic influence and might have a hair trigger, they're not required to do the same right. emotion as the great-grandmother. Yeah. So they can make positive choices mm -hmm. even under strong influences, particularly if they're guided to make positive choices because the parents or educators or guardians guide them to make healthy choices. So healthy choices lead to healthy outcomes, even with genetic influence. Does that then break that cycle for the next generation? So if it's a second generation, does it let them break the cycle for the third generation? Or well, this is what they're finding: is that certain patterns they will sublimate in one generation, come out in another. So, like so they may pass, may it, pass over. Yes, yeah. it, may, it may pass over while still being distributed downstream to one of the other offspring. So, for example, we have a, a greater association with one of our grandparents than we do either of our parents. So typically, we are closer genetically in the sequence than our parents, so it kind of does a leapfrog thing and goes down in the same way to our own children, where one of our children ends up with a greater association to one of our own parents than either one of the parents did. And do you necessarily, necessarily need to know them, or is it just that genetic link? No, that genetic link is there, but what they're finding that the, um, the opportunity for them to associate in a healthy way with that grandparent that is of their association, for example, number one girls have a very strong link to father and father's mother, yep. and father's mother's mother. Now, if a number one girl really gets a loving opportunity from her father and a loving opportunity to meet father's mother, then that becomes an opportunity to make the, the link very positive. But if the father has a difficult thing with his mother and he takes it out on his daughter, then you're really talking about not only uh, making it worse for the next generation, you're talking about a number one girl who has a difficult life. Yeah, yeah.
And then pass it on to their children. Yes, or make it worse. Okay. So that's when you start to see over three generations where it's compounded, you, you come out with early childhood forms of diseases wow. where the child actually has a developmental difficulty or a early childhood disease of some kind or a, a speech impediment or a neuromuscular difficulty, which is the result of unresolved emotions in the generation or two right behind us. So basically, if, if I may say this politely to everyone, you know, it'd be really nice if you get over your mommy and daddy issues and, <laughs> and stop passing it on to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've got an unresolved issue with mom or dad, my suggestion is go out of your way to, to get over it. Yeah. It's not about making somebody right or wrong. Yeah. But just let go of your frustrating emotional anger towards someone. Because even if you don't talk to your, your father for 30 years, it's still accumulating a yep. transgenerational issue and passed on to your kids. And it doesn't work the other way too. So if you do work on yourself personally, it can reverse its, it its effect as well. So um, you can help where it's come from, the flow through. Yes, that's why they're, they're beginning to notice that positive behavioral experiences of helping, for example, children be allowed to process their feelings rather than say, oh, stop that. Go there. No crying here. Uh, toughen up. Stiff upper lip here. No, 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 Aussie. No, 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 no crying. Never heard that before. Right? Well, that's changed <laughs> but now. But allowing children uh, in some places. to process their emotions yeah. actually acts as a, uh, a remover of some of the damage. But shutting kids down emotionally. But not being there for them. And not being there for them or <clears throat> telling them to stop it. Stop that sniveling and whining and crying and stop having a feeling. Well, what that ends up is a depressed or angry child who has to find a way to be medicated in some form or another later or self-medicated or they become emotionally aggressive and they hide it and they hide it and then they sooner or later want to go kill somebody because of it. So that's what they're realizing is severe emotional repression a generation or two later causes somebody to do something very unloving. So what's the best way to handle a child if, if they are whimpering or crying and, you know, let's get some help for some parents out there listening. What is the best way to handle that? Well, the, the opportunity for the child to have their feelings is important, but it's also to not um, say, okay, it's okay for you to be emotional, to be angry, to throw rocks and whatever, beat your little brother over the head with a bat. No. <laughs> No, you can't. Do, so some degree of emotional guidance while having the yeah. feeling while not necessarily becoming aggressive with it. So how do you find the balance between have your feeling but not necessarily take it out on somebody? Which yeah. is a good lesson mm -hmm. for kids to learn how to do. It's okay to have your feelings. It's important for them to have their feelings without realizing that they're going to now use those feelings to manipulate one of their parents. And sometimes it's easy to manipulate their parents by being sad. So some children become emotionally capable of manipulating their parents by whining, others by anger. And they develop patterns because they're away. And then they grow up and yeah. they become adults that do that. Yeah. yeah. But not to be unkind because, you know, just because I'm an American, the American kids, very similar to Aussie kids, have a natural tendency to... <coughs> entitlement 
that's one of the hardest things for parents to look at doing is not keep saying oh you're you're wonderful you're amazing you're capable you can do anything and you, you know and you're just so special well they go out in the world and people don't treat them like that but they have a natural tendency to think well everything should come to me because well i i deserve it i'm entitled to all of this it doesn't come it produces a frustration and anger and we have a, we're growing up with a generation of entitled kids who believe that they have the right to things or food or this or that or power or politics and there's a generation of entitlement one of the worst places has been and they realize this in china with a one child policy mm. they came up with uh, grandchildren yeah. Yeah. who had sets of grandparents on both sides who made them the special grandchild yeah. 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 and they grow person. up what's called the china brat syndrome where they really expect to be treated like that from now on and everybody should love me like my grandparents did or my parents did and they go out and they're not necessarily kind to the other people around them because they yeah. really think everybody should treat them the same way well Americans have a problem with that yeah. really and Aussies are not far behind because we're a fairly prosperous cousin so the, yeah. the two countries we're very similar in that regard and uh, what I've really noticed a difference in the last 30 years is the amount of permissiveness that parents create by wanting to be better parents than their own parents mm -hmm. were. Children are, are just permitted to go into addictive behavior or self-sabotaging behavior or other forms of behavior that uh, we wouldn't have been allowed to have 30 years ago. But that's a whole other mm -hmm. topic on this subject. That is. <laughs> And how do yeah. um, twins come into the... That's um, an interesting one. Yeah. Because uh, one come out. birth order. There's one come out. Well, they do. They're normally, yeah, but identical twins? I yes. Guess. Yes, we have numerous studies on identical and fraternal twins, and you always have, even in twins, you have one that's going to be like a number one girl if they have two twins, two girls. One's going to have more of the personality of a one girl, and she'll talk more. And the other one's going to have a personality more like a two girl, she'll talk less. But now they're testing the insulin resistance and the it's called the phenotype or yeah, the body that's type amazing, and they're testing the triglyceride levels on the identical twins and realizing that even though they're identical they're going to take on epigenetic influences from different sides of the family tree so they're wow. tracking where they come from now if you put uh, fraternal twin girls that come from you know different eggs they are born with completely different gene codes meaning that they have both the mother and father's pattern, but they take on, one of them will take on one from the father's father's mother, and the other one takes it on from the mother's mother's father, so they have completely different patterns, very different than identical twins. And it's predictable about what their body symptoms or body type will be. Mm, so identical twins are different again? Yes, they're different. They're identical in that they came from the same egg, obviously. Yeah. But their personalities have variations in how they treat other people or themselves. Then yeah. that's predictable. Now, if you get the same two identical twins and they come in uh, second and third, it's predictable that one of them will have a second girl personality and the other one will have a third girl personality. Amazing, yeah. And then where they get their gene markers from is predictable. Mm. Well. Wow. All right, and then something we probably all wanted to know when we were a bit younger, but what about attractions? I've had a few. 
it is. Oh. <laughs> well, generally speaking, you know, there are predictable patterns of what people like. So, for example, the number one girl, she just likes basically wanting to tell dad what to do and being better than mom. So she has a tendency to find somebody she can do that with. <laughs> Will that be a number one boy? Typically, number one, or somebody who's been trained to be, you know, trainable by mother. Yeah. So she attracts a woman who, ah, oh, he's going to be trainable. I like him. But this makes it so much easier. If you have this map or aware of this, it makes it so much easier to have good relationships. Really? Well, wouldn't that be fun if we, all, <laughs> if we all got the map? And then we wouldn't do such silly things on dark nights. Yeah. yeah, wouldn't that be nice? If we all made rational choices without alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, what emotions get into the... Yeah, yeah, really. So hang on a second, I'll just go pull out my little chart. You're our third child. Yeah, you're, really. you're, you tick the box. Yeah. And then take out the iridology torch. <laughs> Where yeah. we go? Well, yeah. you know, some that would have been fun. Well, some of the number one girls, you know, she'd be running around checking everybody out and <laughs> grabbing some guy in the corner by the collar going, you, you're with me. <laughs> no, we shouldn't be unkind to number one girls. They're, they're, they're so remarkably gifted. They are. They are. Keep going. This is interesting. Well, which part of it we want to be so interested We've talked about the number one girl. What, what are the others attracted to? Well, for example, the, the number two boy, the second son, he's mostly attracted to physical activity, sports, doing something. So typically he's, he's done that by pushing off of his mother. He doesn't, he goes toward father, pushes off of mother. So most number two boys, they like women who are capable of handling his emotional <laughs> fire. You know, they, they're familiar with pushing off of mother, and they usually like somebody who's capable of going, okay, okay, you're pretty frisky, let's, let's get together and have kids. Because people are, have an automatic tendency for certain types that, that matches their natural disposition. This is pretty well known. You, you can see this. What's even better is to be able to do you know, a wall map of three generation of their iris patterns, like genetic fingerprints, take that in combination with their birth order and predict them. You, you could do better than Tinder and all those other dating <laughs> Most apps. Definitely. You could show well, this them. could come into play. Oh, <laughs> now there's a dating app for yeah. you. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was just about to say that. We could do a, that on Riot International. Your business, your business line coming up. <laughs> yeah, so there would be a business model there for sure, but. Um, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh, okay. So where would you like to go with this? Uh, we can do fun things and we can... Oh, let's do four boy. The fourth son. Or the child that comes fourth behind a boy first. That could even be a girl. So you could have boy, 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 three boys, and then a girl. Now you have what's called number one girl type, queen type, control type, but she's in a position that's called the fourth behind a boy first, which is a position we call the queen. So now she ends up with a four boy, strong willed, you know, take control, but she's also likes to do that in large groups. Doesn't doesn't want to do it in small little families anymore. She wants to do it in larger groups. So she does, she becomes a gifted orator or performer or 
or somebody who can move corporate, she can be public relations, but she's a controlling type for larger groups. It's amazing enough for, for every area of life, isn't it, really? That is. Even for corporations to hire. got to be very careful. Well, you know, the, the part that, I don't know how much time we have, but the, the thing is, is well, people say, why should I study, you know, six girls or six boys? I, I only have one or I don't have any or what does it matter to me about this birth order stuff? Well, the reality is we're realizing that the six boys and the six girls are also another way of describing glands, organs, and body oh, systems. Good. I'm glad you're getting that, yeah. Inside me. Mm. So, I, okay, I have a, a one-girl temperament. I have an imagination like a two-girl. I have a body restorative function like a three-girl. I have another function for a four-girl, five-girl, six-girl. So I have all six-girls patterns in my meridians, my glands, and organs, and body systems. And I have six boys. So it's kind of like I'm... I'm a car with 12 pistons. You know, if I could get all 12 of those cooperating and moving, then my overall success and capacity is really much greater. If I'm just operating on one and two, it's kind of like you're just, you know, barely making it down the street, and that's pretty normal, and you marry somebody else who's pretty <laughs> normal, and you end up with normal kids. So what's the likelihood of having 12 archetypes getting on <laughs> inside well, you? <laughs> I don't know, but... If she's out there, I'd like to meet her. <laughs> well, they do fun? say that. Like, Carolyn Ace in, in her archetype, mm. she says that we actually all do have 12 archetypes in us. So it's, it's interesting that you actually yeah, have the I same said, number yeah. of 12. Yeah, so those archetypes are there. What would it be like for me to open those 12 archetypes? And by the way, for me, those are why I like to write stories about the archetypes. Right? So you'll have all the different manners of types and elements of nature and fire and water and, and metal and wood symbols and so that and air. You, you realize that all those parts are in there. You go, hmm, wow, that's not only stories, that's glands, organs, and body systems, and that's me learning to be more of who I am and how to live it. Do they also align to chakra points? Oh, yes, yeah, so well? the, if you want to go into chakra positions, yeah. through the metaphysical part of it, that's possible too, and they're all there. So part of it is, is really learning how all those commingle yeah. and realize that, yes, I'm a, I'm a one boy because I have a lung meridian and the first element is about air and the first element for success is about inspiration and you, know, you can go on and on. And the second element, two boy, is uh, activity and passion and purpose and action. You know, and the three boy being understanding or clarity or the capacity to be able to be curious or communicate. And the fourth boy is the ability to be able to take it to the public and, and to maximize uh, resources or financial success. Whereas the five boy is Michelangelo or Leonardo. So you, you can go right into all of the archetypes and yep. have all of them inside self. Or well. So that's a big view of birth order in one evening. That it's is. amazing, absolutely amazing. We've covered a, a lot of ground. Now, is all that information, or the majority of that information, in your book? No, thank okay. God. Okay, because that'd no, be a very, very big book. That's a very, very big book, and that one is just the birth order, the nature of birth order. You can get it on rayid.com, R-A-Y-I-D.com, and look, it's right there, and it's downloadable for free, and that's free so that parents can get an idea of what their kids are like and. 
Owner's manual. Enjoy. I would call it an owner's an manual. Operating manual. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you have a lot of um, other things going on. Um, some exciting. There's some, some exciting projects coming on. But uh, I guess more imminently coming up is you've got some workshops in Melbourne this weekend. So do you have spots available? How can people... There's only five actually left. Five or four spots left. left. So if you want to come down, um, be very quick and contact uh, Jason at Naturopathic Care. Yes, and um, that's for the bold and unusual types. (laughs) That that will be (laughs) one. Because that weekend is going... This coming weekend, it's going to be more on the unusual side. So I'd rather have people who are willing to learn something completely new and take a risk. Okay. <laughs> all the Fantastic. shakers out there. Yeah, all the shakers. For those that understand shakers, it's actually <laughs> something out of Riot as well. Denny's giving me one of those books. <laughs> um, but also, where can people find you, contact you? You know, you have a big Instagram presence, YouTube, Facebook. You also have a website. I, I do my best not to be available because... <laughs> It's <laughs> not what you told me today. <laughs> well, it just leads to being contacted. It, that's true. And you know, then you you end up spending so much time trying to deal with it all. And, yeah. and you know, I, I'm I actually prefer doing research and communicating with the research. So I'm not saying I don't. I'm not trying to build a downline of connection yeah. or whatever. I like just distributing information. I do do a periodic um, series of experiments on Facebook. Yeah. So there's a group called um, Red. International R A Y I D International Facebook, and that's where we periodically take um, groups of relative newcomers from around the world, and we uh, take them through a series of experiments about how to be able to understand how they're emotionally reacting and what to do with it. And you know, that that's a fun one. That's for yeah. a beginner. And that's really about personal growth, isn't it? That's so, about personal growth. Yeah. Yes. And and I think those sort of um, programs quite often and. For people that are listening, yeah, this is a great opportunity to get into one of those programs because it is free. It's not there's no charge to be part of that group. Whereas a lot of personal development programs, people are charging thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for. So, for those, it's that, an amazing opportunity. Yeah, look, it really is, and and that's what I love a lot about the, you know, a lot of the information that you provide. It is actually out there for free, so people can develop themselves, grow as an individual, and I quite often say that you know, growing old doesn't equal maturity, but when people do the personal growth part, that's where the maturity comes into understanding who they are, how they impact people around them, but also how they impact themselves. So you talk about you know people getting over their mummy and daddy issues. So we are meaning making machines in many ways, and we are I mean, people say the experiences shape us, but it's really the choices that we make around those experiences that shape us. And when people can get over or just take accountability and take ownership of the choices they've made their life can be significantly different. And the programs that you put in place allow people to, an option, an opportunity to go down that path. You know, I've been doing this a long time. This is now 40 years of some form of research and active presentation. It's my, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, my 26th trip to (laughs) Australia. I really should be given citizenship or something. People with a lot less. See what (laughs) you can do with a visa. And, And, the, the quality and the magnitude of the information over these years has reached a level where I cannot in good conscience say, oh, by the way, I would give you this information about your kids, but you got to give me you know, $30 first. I just literally can't do that anymore. So I don't charge for 
anything I produce, materials, written materials, audios, cassettes, anything that, anything. And I just feel like it's a lot cleaner that way. If somebody comes along and wants to you know, give me a grant or uh, give me a donation, that's fine. But I'd rather be just, well, for the rest of my life, clean of all that stuff. Yeah. And then just, uh, I like working because I want to work, not because I need to work. Yeah, lovely. And for those that are listening and wondering what the value is, in this, you know, you are actually have an international speaker, have been for many, many years. Um, I've spoken around the globe in, in not just Australia, but many other countries as well. And, and uh, like Kat mentioned at the front, you know, founder of an amazing iridology system, which has helped, I know, in, in her oh, clinic, has amazing. been amazing work. Um, I know when we first met, um, Kat was telling me about my mother and she had mother and father and she had never met them. I hadn't actually spoken about them on the game. So Denny was doing that then? What, what, are, then. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the accuracy of how she was describing them was um, fairly intense, actually. Yeah, it can be very intense to have somebody who doesn't know you at all yeah. start to describe these nuances about your personality, your family, your attractions, your parents, yeah. and all of that. But understand yeah. you and understand how to treat you and, and yeah. talk to you as well. Like, so was, you you can yeah. establish a, a rapport very quickly. Yeah. But going, even going down to the level of, uh, like your father had a broken leg at some time, they go, oh, well, <laughs> I was combining that in with Jensen so, as well. So, like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> what? I didn't, I didn't teach that. <laughs> I was combining it with Jensen, yeah, the Jensen method as well. I only talked about the broken arm, <laughs> not, <laughs> the broken legs, not the legs. <laughs> yeah, so it's extremely powerful powerful information when people it is extremely powerful it, it is and getting to know yourself and getting to know um, the others for a better world so Denny it's absolutely been a, a honour always to um, have you in the studio and at home it's been just amazing <laughs> it's, been, it's been an experience for me as well <laughs> <laughs> it's been great having you in so um, like we said you can contact Denny at Raid International um, and we've only got about four uh, positions left um, so get on to Jason at Naturopathic Care if you want one of those four positions for the workshops um, in Melbourne is, this weekend. Is that an email address is that a website is that his Jason's business so for people who want to make contact. Yeah just get on to Naturopathic Care I'm really sorry I haven't got his email in front of me and I can't issue out his uh, no. mobile number obviously for uh, privacy reasons yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, or they can PM me and I'll, I'll pass it on but only four positions left so get in there quick better option wouldn't it yeah. so they can yeah. send you a PM time. and then you can send that on through to Jason yeah okay great so um, don't forget uh, the podcast will be available one hour after the show if you've uh, just tuned in um, for the full version uh, we'll have it on www.apollobayradio.podbean Excellent. All right, so it's been great having you on, Denny. Thank you so much. A thousand thank yous. Thank you very much. It's been great honour. And again, thank you for um, everything that you've done for us. And it's been great having you here in the studio and also at, look well, again. And maybe <laughs> number 27 might come up, but I, I really hope yeah. not. Yeah. Well, I'd say. I'd say. All right. Okay, so uh, you've been listening to The Wellness Couch on 3ABR with Katarina and Brett Morrison, and we've had Denny Johnson on as a guest where our science meets ancient wisdom, and we'll meet you again tomorrow night. Bye-bye.